I want to invite you to uh, open your Bibles with me today to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, today actually marks the halfway point uh, through our study in 1 Peter. Hard to believe, um, but it's been 10 weeks, so I guess it's about time we're halfway through. Uh, but today's the halfway point in our study of 1 Peter. And certainly I hope that you've, uh, you've benefited from it and grown through it as much as I have. I know um, this, this book has just, uh, just become so, so fresh to me. Um, I, I've discovered so many more and been reminded of so many, so many new truths uh, in, this, in this text. And so it's just been a huge blessing to me in my life. And again, I hope that's, that's been the case for you, you and your family. Uh, this letter, 1 Peter, though, uh, let, me, let me set the stage for us. Uh, it was written by the apostle Peter, who was a disciple of Jesus. Uh, he, he ministered with Jesus. He saw Jesus rise from the dead. Uh, and he was personally commissioned, sent by Jesus to be an apostle, uh, one of the leaders of the early church, or one of the leaders of Jesus' church. And of course, uh, Peter wasn't always that person. He wasn't always that guy, right? When we first meet Peter, uh, he's an overconfident fisherman who, while mostly well-meaning, made a lot of mistakes. And so, so Peter was just an ordinary guy who was radically transformed by Jesus. I think that's just right, that alone uh, could be a sermon. That alone preaches. I think it was part of a sermon in the first week, right? That we can be encouraged just to know that Peter was an ordinary guy who was radically transformed by Jesus. And so it... So Peter's story tells us that anybody, right, anybody can be transformed by Jesus. But now here we have, we have Peter. Because of God's grace, we have Peter writing this letter to encourage Christians across the ages uh, as we navigate life in a world that is not our true home. He wants to help us, we know, Peter wants to help us to, to stand firm. To help us know uh, that as exiles in this world, that, that we have a, a reference point, a primary reference point for, for meaning, for purpose, for hope, for joy, that's not found in this world, but it's found in Jesus. And so that's why Peter writes. He wants us to know who Jesus is, who we are in this world in light of who Jesus is, and then how we're to live in this world as his witnesses. Well, with that, last week we talked about, uh, I guess, the controversial subject of the government. We talked about the government. And we talked about the, the reality that God created government for our good and for his purposes. And because of that, we discussed the responsibility that you and I have as followers of Jesus to be good citizens here for the Lord's sake and for the spread of his kingdom. That as citizens of God's kingdom, we should be the best citizens on the earth. Well then, today, we, we move away from the subject of the government to the topic of unjust suffering. Today we're talking about unjust suffering Peter wants us to know, as sojourners, as followers of Jesus, how we are to respond to unjust suffering. So let me open us up today with, with a question. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where, where apart from your good intentions and acts of, of love... Uh, you've been unjustly criticized. Maybe you found yourself in a relationship. Uh, you, you're doing good towards them. Uh, you're serving them. But in return, all you got back was, was poor treatment. Uh, maybe it ended in gossip against you and slander against you. Maybe it tarnished your reputation or your name. Even though you did nothing, nothing wrong. Because it's one thing if you've done something wrong, right? And then negative consequences follow you, right? We all understand that. We all know that. You reap what you sow. 
But it's a totally different thing when you, when you haven't done anything wrong. When, you've, when you're being mistreated, but it's undeserved. And that is where Peter is actually taking us today. He wants us to know how we are to respond as followers of Christ to, to undeserved pain and undeserved suffering. So again, if you have a Bible with you today, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be starting our, I guess, our, our time together with verse 18, but we're going to read all the way through uh, the end of chapter 2. Okay, we're finishing chapter 2 today. This is what God's Word said. It says this, 1 Peter 2, verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Amen. Well, again, we begin here by by looking at the the reality, this is where we're starting today, the reality of unjust suffering. Again, uh, Peter says here at the start of verse 18, he says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. As we unfold this text, you're, you're going to see this overarching theme here uh, of unjust suffering. But Peter here starts this conversation by, by applying it, by applying unjust suffering specifically to the relationship between a servant and their master. Or for our context today, in our case, an employer and an employee. That's the context here. You see, the, the Greek word here for, for servant, it's the word, uh, the common word uh, for household servant. In Greek, it's the word doulos. And throughout the New Testament, we come across this word over and over and over again because bond servants were just a normal part of the fabric of society. This is a normal, common day thing. But of course, we don't have this system in place now. So let me just catch us up here for for a second so that we can gather the weight of what Peter is telling us here. Bond servants were a form of indentured servants in the Greco-Roman world. And it was a very common system. Actually, some uh, first century scholars estimate that maybe up to one quarter of the population in the Roman Empire okay, were in bond service. Very common. And in bond service, it could be temporary, where you could eventually uh, buy your freedom. Um, in some cases, bond service was voluntary, right, for, for economic gain or when you were in some debt or when you were in a time of need. You would volunteer, actually, to be a bond servant. But then there were other times, of course, we know, where it was permanent or forced based on a variety of, of circumstances. But I say that to say we have to be careful when we enter into this text not to bring our uh, 21st century uh, a context here. Uh, this isn't a racial thing. Okay? This isn't the type of uh, sinful slavery or sinful servanthood that we tend to think of as Westerners. Right? That's not what's happening here. 
And so we have to be careful, again, that we don't misapply this text to what we feel about servanthood or slavery, the sinful act of it. We have to be careful not to bring that into the text, to, to understand bond service at this time. Again, yes, there were certainly times, again, where, where bond servants were treated wrongly. They were misused, taken advantage of, abused. But it's, it's really interesting. Many bond servants were, were doctors, actually. Uh, they were artists, musicians, uh, managers. And so if you walked through Rome, again, just to kind of get this picture, if you walked through Rome at that time, for example, you wouldn't be able to tell who was a servant and who wasn't a servant. You couldn't tell the difference between the two. Again, this was the most common form of an employer and employee relationship at that time. And the point here, what Peter is addressing, he's highlighting here what following Jesus looks like within existing social structures. And so let me be clear. He's not commending this system of bond servanthood okay he's not saying it it's good but he is recognizing it as part of the broken society in which they lived and in that he's trying to help them he's trying to help followers of Jesus he's trying to shepherd them to know how to follow Jesus amidst this social construct amidst this social structure Actually, if you read church history, especially what was going on at this time in the Roman Empire, this was a very, very big issue for the church. It was huge. We know that many servants at that time, bond servants, they would accept Christ, and then when they decided to follow Jesus, what they started to believe is that that freed them from their bond service, right? Because in Jesus, you're free. We We sang about it this morning. Right? We have freedom in his name. And so they said, well, great. Now I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm done with following this master because I'm following my true master. Right? That started to become a thinking. Or, or they started to just think not just that they were free, but that in order to follow Jesus, they had to. They had no choice but to leave their master or their boss behind. They had to leave by, behind their employer and follow Jesus because, again, they had examples of that, even from the apostles. Right? Jesus comes, right, for example, to the apostle Peter, who's writing this. And what does he say? Come and follow me. And what does Peter do? He's a fisherman. He's a fisherman by trade. He does what? Drops his nets, leaves behind his job, and goes and follows Jesus. And so they're thinking, this is what I must do as well. Or for others, in other cases, we know that bond servants, they were struggling just struggling uh, on how they were supposed to live a life for Christ under these harsh circumstances. Right? Many of them were struggling. Many of them were suffering, being mistreated. And so this was an important pastoral issue of that day. And that's why Peter is addressing it here. And here is his response to all of these all of these cases. Here's his response. He tells them, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. And all that means is be willingly obedient to them. Essentially, what Peter is saying to them is, do your job well. Do your job well. Again, he's not promoting bond service. He isn't saying that in itself it's a good thing. But regardless, he says, no matter what type of boss you have, they might be a good boss, a bad boss, just, unjust, crooked, straight. He says, be subject to them. Obey them. Simply put again, first century context, do a great job and work hard. Not for their sake, but for Jesus' sake. Why? Because you don't ultimately belong to your boss. You don't ultimately work for your boss. You ultimately belong to and work for King Jesus. So again, Peter is concerned with how disciples of Jesus 
relate to the world around them and the specific roles that we find ourselves in. And of course, just like last week when we discussed politics, right? Follow the emperor, honor the emperor, submit to the government, right? We talked about that. And just in same in that case, I think our natural inkling when we read these types of things in the scripture is to say, okay, but how much? How much do I obey? How much am I supposed to follow my boss or obey uh, the rules at work? And really, the the answer is the same as, as last week. Jesus is the only one who should get and deserves our absolute, no exception, right, obedience. He's the only one. All other calls to submit, to follow, or obey, right, are subject and uh, and contingent, you could say. And so certainly, right, let's just clear this before we keep going. If your employer or your boss forbids you to do what God requires or tells you to do something that God forbids, you don't do it, right? That's simple. I'll say that again. If your boss tells you to do something uh, that that God, ha- that God has not, re- or sorry, let me say that one more time. If your boss tells you to not do something, there you go, God has asked, or to do something that God has said not to do, you don't follow. Same as the government. You disobey your earthly authority and obey our heavenly authority. But other than that, other than that, again, unless it's black and white, Other than that, Peter says, we submit, work hard, and do good work. I'll say this kind of uh, tongue-in-cheek, but so that means this. If your boss is a jerk, you still work hard and you do good work. If your boss is lazy and indifferent, you still work hard for the Lord because you represent him. But if But if they are unethical, you don't participate. See the difference? Makes sense? Now, I want us to to also understand, most of us today, now, we have the privilege of just quitting, right? Or or moving on uh, to a new job if we're not happy where we are. That happens all the time in our day, right? All the time. But bond servants at this time, they couldn't do that. They didn't have that luxury. They didn't have that choice. But even, even still, the question remains for, for you and I, even today in our, in our context, the question remains, how do you interact with your boss okay, until you get a new job? Or, or how should you faithfully follow Jesus in a a terrible work environment. How do you do that? And again, to that, Peter says, work hard and do a good job because you belong to Jesus. Now, uh, if you're tracking with me here, uh, this can seem a bit harsh, right? Uh, Because at first glance, what the Apostle Peter seems to be saying is, uh, just accept your unjust treatment. Just accept it, right? Deal with it, right? Grin and bear it, kind of white knuckle it, just get through it, right? You're a Christian, do it. Do a good job, work hard, right? Uh, you're not owned by that boss, just go. No, it doesn't matter what they tell you to do, just do it, right? Uh, but that's actually not what Peter is was saying here. It's not what Peter is saying here. He's really answering a, a much simpler question, which is, again, what do you do when you have no voice and you have no actual power? What do you do when you are suffering unjustly and you can't do anything about it, right? And we're, we're, I think for a lot of us, we're oftentimes in that place. That's what Peter's speaking to here. And to that, look at what Peter says in verse 19. He says this, For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. Peter says, when you face sorrows in your life, 
That word sorrow, it can mean uh, pain, heartache, frustration, confusion. It says, when you face sorrows in your life, when you have pain, heartache, frustration, when you're confused, know that it is a gracious thing when mindful of God that you endure those things while suffering unjustly. And so let's talk about that. There's a bit of debate about what Peter means by gracious thing here. Um, but I'm fairly confident um, that I can say, tell you what it means based on the context here, but also how Peter uses the same phrase in verse 20. If you have a copy of God's word, you could, you could, we're not going to go there yet, but you can see that phrase there. Peter uses that same phrase in verse 20. And what he's saying here, he's saying, it is pleasing in the sight of God to see his grace on display in our lives as we patiently endure suffering that we don't deserve. I'll say that again. There's going to be a few things I repeat today just because I want to be really clear and they're a bit wordy, but I have to say them because this is what it's saying, right? Peter's saying it's pleasing in the sight of God. It pleases God to see his grace on display in our lives as we patiently endure, as we patiently get through suffering we don't deserve. And in that, we see how we are able to get through these times as well. Peter tells us the answer here. He says, he says this, how can you endure the pain and sorrow that we face? He says, when you are suffering, when you're going through hardships, particularly that you don't deserve, he says, be mindful of God. Or I like to say it this way. I think it works really well. Keep your mind full of God. You want to endure hardships, particularly those you don't deserve, unjust suffering? Keep your mind full of God. It means cultivate a trustful awareness. Develop an awareness, a trust, a faith that God is near you. That he is aware of what you're going through. That he knows everything about you. Everything you're feeling. He sees you. And he cares about the sorrows and the suffering that you are experiencing. Peter will go on to define this a little bit more for us in a minute. But essentially what he's saying is, before you burn with resentment, right? before you turn to gossiping, before you vent on social media about how you're just being treated unjustly and the world's not fair, Right Before you harbor bitterness in your heart, he says, keep your minds full of God. Let me see if I can explain this to you with an illustration or an example. Um, the first thing that I, I thought about here uh, was, was Google Maps. Okay? I know we don't use it a lot here in Korea, but at, at times it can be helpful. Right? Uh, but you can if you want because it could be your context. You could think about neighbor map or cacao map too. It's okay, right? Pretty much the same thing. But on Google Maps, um, it's easy, uh, any map application really, when you're trying to find a place or where you want to go, you start doing that pinch thing, right? You start pinching in and out, trying to find out where you're going. And it's really, really easy to kind of fat finger that thing, right? To, to pinch too much or too, or, or, or too little, Right? And you're, like, you're looking how to get like two blocks down, and you end up seeing like the entire country of Korea. Right? And you're like, oh, okay. And then you have to zoom back in, and then you zoom in, and you want to see like a few streets, and then you zoom into like one building, and it's like a haircut shop or something like that. And you're like, I don't need a haircut. I have to zoom back out. Right? It's easy to do that. Way too close, okay? way too far out. But to get yourself back to where you were, to get yourself standing in the place where you were, where you want to be with the right view, there's actually a button you can push on Google Maps. The button, it's actually called, it's called recenter. Recenter. It's the same as the target button on Naver and Cacao. There's a little target button. If you push that button, it'll recenter you and take you back to where you're standing, where you are. 
that button, it puts things back into right perspective. And that's a lot like what Peter is saying to us here. He says, when we go through unjust suffering and heartache and sorrow that we didn't deserve, that we didn't bring upon ourselves, when that happens, it's easy to get lost. It's easy to, to lose sight of things and, no, and not know what to do, not know how to move forward. So Peter says, keep your mind full of God. Recenter, hit recenter, recenter your heart and mind on the Lord. When you're facing sorrows and injustice, keep your mind full of God, centered on Him. You might not be able to see the big picture of what you're going through, but when you recenter, you can clearly see where you're at, and at the very least, you could see the next step, the next right step forward. And the, and the reason Peter goes here is because going through unjust suffering is inexplicable to the world. It's something that the world cannot understand. And that's the point, right? This is a unique opportunity to show the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. Because when we patiently endure suffering, we show that there is strength in life that is found outside of this life. It shows that there is meaning and and purpose outside of this life. So we overcome evil with good. And we show mercy to those who don't show mercy because we belong to Jesus. And there's another clarification point to this found in verse 20. Peter adds this. He says, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? What credit do you get? He's basically saying, when we do wrong, and then we receive consequences for it, there's no credit, there's no credit for that suffering before God. There's no credit given by God for that type of suffering. We're just getting what we deserve. That's essentially what he says. So in those cases, what's the answer? Repent, seek fresh grace, make amends with that person, and then move forward. That's what you need to do, what you should do. It's all you can do. But, Peter says, but if when you do good, keep looking at our text, but if when you do good and suffer for it, uh, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So again, we have to clarify here, Peter's not talking about all suffering. He's only referring to unjust, undeserved suffering. And here what we see is Peter's shift. He makes a shift from From the work context to all of life. That's what he does here. He's referring to a general principle now. That when you do good and suffer for it, this is a gracious thing before God. Suffering for doing good because you belong to Jesus is a gracious thing. So, when you try to help a friend who's living in sin... Or has a hard-heartedness, trying to help that person. And they go on to speak poorly about you, speak behind your back. Okay, or, or when you try to reconcile with somebody who, who, who maybe wronged you, and they just keep pushing you away, they want nothing to do with you. Or, or when you help someone, but they, but they act like you've never done anything for them ever. Maybe you share the gospel with someone with, with, with great care and love and concern, but all you get in response is mockery and ridicule. Maybe you're trying to, trying to gen- just genuinely love someone, but, but they take it as the exact opposite. You're judging me. Or, you, don't, you don't love me. That's, you wouldn't do that if you loved me. So many examples we could see or we could use for seeking to do good, but it being received poorly. Where all we receive back from our good is heartache and and sorrow. And Peter says to that, that God is pleased 
when we endure, when we're mindful of him, centered on him, focused on him during those times. Because again, what it shows him and what it shows the world is that we belong to Jesus. It reveals where our hope is found. We know the world only has fleshly responses to unjust suffering, right? The world only knows vengeance, lawsuits, gripes, grudges, bitterness, shaming, and unforgiveness, right? Hollywood makes a killing on this, right? Uh, What's the movie? Liam Neeson, help me. Uh, Taken, right? Unjust suffering, right? His daughter, you shouldn't, I don't know, is that rated R? You shouldn't watch it, right? All right? Unjust suffering calls him up, right? I don't know who you are, where you are, where I'm going to, you know, I'm coming after you, right? He says a lot of harsh words. Coming at, you're getting the, what you deserve. Vengeance is coming for you, right? There's a whole movie series. We love, we've all, I've seen all 21 of them, whatever, the Avengers series, right? Right? Unjust suffering in our world. Here come the Avengers to make everything right, right? Put everything back in place, Right, Thanos, we didn't deserve like for half of the population to go, right? So you need, you get what you deserve, right? We're getting vengeance against you. Right? But <laughs> we have to be mindful of this. We do not belong to the world. We belong to Jesus. We belong to his kingdom. So our response to life's situations and circumstances, in all cases, should be out of this world, should be otherworldly. We shouldn't respond the way the world responds to things. And here's the key. Here's the key to responding to undeserved suffering this way. Because it sort of seems impossible, right? How could, how could we? Because there's some harsh unjust, undeserved suffering that people face. How could we ever respond this way? Peter tells us, be mindful of God, but then he sort of tells us what that looks like. Peter tells us this. Look at verse 21. He says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. As we've studied through this letter, We've seen Peter name a number of things that we are called to. Some of them incredibly glorious. We are called to some glorious things. Like in chapter 1, we're called to be born again to a living hope. Right? We're called, he says, we're called to, to live holy lives. Amazing. So good. Chapter 2, earlier, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We're called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Isn't that amazing? What amazing gospel truth, glorious reality. Called out of darkness into his glorious light. We all amen that. All good. But now here, we're called to what? To endure unjust suffering for doing good. How many amens can I get to that? Doesn't look so great. I'm called to that. I'm called to suffer unjustly. Yeah. Why? Because in doing so, he says, in doing so, we are following in the pathway of our Lord. We're walking in the steps of Jesus. That word example there, it's a really good one, interesting one. It refers to a a specific pattern to be traced. The only thing I could think of is like, um, I remember when I was in kindergarten, and uh, my teacher, Mrs. Zakaria, Mrs. Zakaria, uh, she, she was trying to teach us how to write the alphabet, right? And so what do you get? You get one of those papers with the dotted lines, with the traceable lines, right? And you have to, you're tracing those lines the best way that you could, right? I was always, like, the slowest at that because I'm a perfectionist. So I made, like, one mistake. I would go up to the teacher, 
hand her back the paper, need a new one. I could get through, like, why? Why's off? Here's the paper. Go back. She's like, it's okay. It's okay, Jamie. You're fine. You're fine. I'm not fine. I'm not fine. Unjust suffering. <laughs> Give me a paper. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but it's sort of like that. Okay, tracing a specific pattern. In the same way, our lives are meant, Peter's saying, our lives are meant actually to, to trace the life of Jesus, to follow closely in the pattern, in the pathway of Jesus, particularly here, he says, in how we endure suffering and difficulty for doing good in this world. And in this, in this, one of the things that Peter is doing here is reminding us that we are not alone in our suffering. We're not alone in our suffering. He reminds us that Jesus, our Lord, went before us. And if we belong to him, our lives will trace his life. We will walk in his steps. And what good could, does this possibly do? Why would we do this, right? Well, again, I, I've already said this, but it, it shows, again, it shows that we belong to him. But it also displays his supreme worth in our lives and the hope that we have outside of this world. That's why we do this. I think this is really important to say as well. But, be, but because Peter says this here, what we also know is that when we suffer unjustly, it doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. If you're suffering now, facing undeserved suffering, you need to hear that today. God has not abandoned you. It actually means that most of the time, again, if it's undeserved, truly undeserved, it actually means you're right where he wants you to be. You're walking in his ways. We are doing as Jesus did. Peter wanted these bondservants to know that and, to us, and for us to know that as well. So Peter says, Jesus is our example, he says. He's our example not, not a distant example, not a far-off example, but a relational example. An example that we can know, an example that we can trust, an example that we can see. And because of the depth of our relationship with Jesus, what naturally happens is we begin to take on his mannerisms, his values, and his interests. Just for example, right? There's a reason. There's a reason I, I really like the New York Yankees, Notre Dame football, and Italian food. There's a reason for that, actually, because it's awesome. No, uh, right, they're awesome. No, there's a reason for that because actually, so does my dad. So does my dad. Um, and what do they say, right? Like father, like son, right? <laughs> but I, and I didn't learn that from him. I didn't learn that from him at a distance or, or, from, or from being detached from him. I learned that from the nature and closeness of our relationship. And so we are to view our example from Jesus in very much the same way. We learn up close. It's personal. It's transformative. Jesus is not a distant, detached, cold example. He's someone that we have a deep relationship with, someone that we belong to. I mean, look at what Peter says just in this text, just in this paragraph. He says, he suffered for you. For you, he suffered. He bore our sins by his wounds. You, you are healed. It's very personal. This is deep and profound language, deep language of something that didn't happen way out there in the cosmos. It happened to you and I personally in Christ. So listen, we follow Jesus in such a way, we follow Jesus in such a way that we are and do for others what he is and has done for us. 
Let me, let me break that down for you. Make it really simple, I hope. We don't learn, just for example, we don't learn to be forgiving by trying, fighting to forgive. It's not how you learn to be a forgiving person. No, we learn to forgive by reflecting and understanding how much Jesus has forgiven us. No one, no one will ever sin against us more than we have sinned against Christ. And yet, he has forgiven us. And forgiven people go on to be forgiving people. How much you and I are willing to forgive displays how much we know we are forgiven. Or we don't learn to walk in love by trying, striving to walk in love. No, we, we learn that by reflecting on how much and how Jesus has loved us. Because loved people become increasingly loving people. And for our purposes today, we do not learn to suffer well by trying to suffer well. We learn to suffer unjustly by reflecting on how Jesus has suffered unjustly for us. It's the only way that we can do this and the only way that it makes sense. See, as his forgiveness, as Jesus' forgiveness, his love, and his suffering grips our hearts, what it will do is forge, forge, mold a people who resemble him because of their relationship with him. This is the key to suffering unjustly, seeing Jesus as our transformative example. Well, then to really drive this home, he could have stopped there. Peter doesn't. I'm thankful for it. He just really wants to drive this point home. He writes, he gives us, really, it's a gift. Verse 23 through 25 through these verses, he reveals that we are meant to be these countercultural, we'll call it gospel shaped sufferers, okay? Countercultural, gospel shaped sufferers. And he does this by, again, reminding us of the gospel, which you know I like, and the reality that Jesus is the ultimate, he's the ultimate unjust sufferer. And he wants this truth, this awesome truth of the gospel, to motivate our perseverance. And strengthen us as we suffer and are, and are tried unjustly. So look at what he says, starting in verse 22. He says, Jesus, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Peter says, Jesus was sinless. He did nothing wrong. He didn't deserve to suffer. But when he did, when he was wrongly accused, when he was put on trial, when he went to the cross, he didn't fight back. He didn't seek revenge. Instead, he trusted God. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. The tree there, of course, is a clear reference to the cross. And he hung on that tree to bear our sins, my sins, your sins, do you understand that today? Do you understand the weightiness of that today? Do you understand the nature and condition of your and my sin? We need to. We need to understand that, that sin is not just an action, but also it's a condition of the heart that that you and I, we are born into sin. 
That there is no one good. Not one. And because of that, our natural bend, our natural disposition is to put ourselves in the center of our lives rather than God, rather than Jesus at the center of our lives. You and I, we are, we are consumed with ourselves. Consumed with ourselves. We trust ourselves. We treasure ourselves. And we desire, we desire to give ourselves glory. And because of that, the Bible is clear. We are in rebellion, in opposition to God, and in a situation where, a hopeless situation where we are unable to please him, which is our creative purpose. And listen, if if that is the condition of our hearts, and this is not just about our actions, then we have a real, a serious problem. It means that we can't rescue ourselves from the condition of sin, even if we superficially adjust our actions. We can't be good enough. We can't do well enough. We cannot change ourselves because we need to be changed on the inside, not merely on the outside, which means that you and I need help outside of ourselves. We need a Savior. And Peter reminds us here that that's Jesus, that Jesus bore our sins on the cross, that he He took the entirety of our punishment in our place as our substitute. He got what we deserved, suffering. Jesus was the ultimate sinless sufferer. And why did he do this? Why, Peter says, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. Because of the cross, because of his suffering, his wounds, we have been healed. We have been made new with God. All of the chaos, that's what this means. All of the, all of the chaos, all of the destruction that was brought about from the inside out due to our sin. Due to our sin, it's all, all of it is healed over by the work of Jesus on the cross. He defeated death, he defeated Satan, he defeated sin, and therefore, therefore, and only because of this, you and I can die to sin. You and I can walk away from the old life that was centered on self into a new life, a right life, with Jesus at the center. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus suffered unjustly. And then we close here today, verse 25. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter says, he reminds us again. You and I, we were straying away from God. Can you imagine? Our creator. We're straying away, lost. And so God sent his son, Jesus, to be our substitute. He bore our punishment, took our sin, and because of that, Peter says, because of that, we can return to our shepherd. We were like sheep gone astray, but there was a shepherd who brought us back and who gave his life for us. That's Jesus, our Lord, our God, the guardian, Peter says. Love it. The guardian of our souls. Peter reminds us here that Jesus was the ultimate sufferer of injustice. We were the ones who committed injustice. We did the wrong. We were the rebels. He did nothing wrong, but he took our unjust suffering on himself. And being mindful of that, 
being mindful of that, knowing that gives meaning to the injustice that we face and helps us endure. You see that? So when we are treated poorly, unjustly, when we're criticized for doing good, when wrong things are said about you, when wrong things are done against you, Peter says it's good for us to stop, to pause, and to be mindful of God, to recenter, and to remember what Jesus has done for us. Isaiah 53, 4 through 7 says this, and I think it's going to sound really familiar to you. This is a prophecy about the coming Messiah, which is Jesus, and Peter, I promise you, Peter surely had this in mind, this scripture in mind when he wrote his own letter in the text that we've studied today. Listen to this. Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and With his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Sound familiar? We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity, the sin of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. What was his response to his suffering? Yet he opened not his mouth. like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus suffered deep injustice. And when he did, he didn't retaliate. He didn't slander them. He didn't seek revenge. He simply entrusted himself to the Father, to the one who judges justly. So let's do the same. Let's have confidence. Let's trust that God will ultimately right all wrongs. Let's be mindful that he is not absent in our suffering. He knows us, sees us. So let's let's never lose heart. Let's endure through unjust sorrows, knowing that you are walking in the footsteps of your Lord Jesus Christ. He will strengthen you. He is at work in you. So let's not judge things by what can be seen, but by who we know. Remember, church, remember who you belong to. Remember what he has done and what he has promised. He bore our injustice, so let's bear others' injustice. For his sake, for his sake, let's do this knowing that it is pleasing in the sight of God to see his grace on display in our lives and for the spread of the gospel. Keep your minds, keep your minds full of God. Let's pray together.